0: Hello and welcome to the TPA Podcast, a series of interviews with the Preston Associates Partnership of Executive Coaches. We will take a look at the trends driving business and leadership and offer insight and analysis on how you can become a better leader. I am your host, Tom Ritchie. We are living in truly unprecedented times. At time of recording, there have been close to 400,000 positive cases of COVID-19 recorded globally, with more than 16,000 confirmed deaths. Business leaders now face stark decisions on the future of their team and organisations. Looking after your people has never been more important as many employees will be anxious not only about their own health but that of their colleagues, families and friends. TPA's Julie Stokes is an expert in loss and bereavement, having started her career as a psychologist in palliative care. Julie then founded Winston's Wish, the UK's leading bereavement charity for children. For the past 12 years she has coached talented senior leaders wanting to do the very best for their people and their business. She joins me now to share practical ideas on how you can emerge from this crisis as the leader you really want to be. Julie thanks so much for joining me today. How has the COVID-19 outbreak affected you personally?
1: Well Tom I think it affected us very personally. A week ago actually my daughter came back um, she'd been traveling and she walked through the door with a very high temperature and all the flu-like symptoms and the cough and I think we knew at that point that we were into at the very least a social isolation situation. Uh, she went to her bedroom for what has now been, we're on day seven and then I think all the domino effects of, of that action falls into place. You know, I start becoming a very worried mom because she's she's not well. You know, and you're wondering if that's going to be okay. At the time, there was uh, almost a, a comical kind of work scenario going on. I was trying to coach somebody in this new virtual world that we we're in, and my my other son was passing me notes under the desk, telling me. That uh, Katie was on her way home and what her temperature was. And then there was another message about how the internet wasn't being shared enough. And it was just like a whole load of stuff. And you realize how the stress of all this uncertainty just affects you. So at that point, I needed to kind of clear my diary. And then the the next domino that occurred to me was that that meant because we were in social isolation, that I couldn't go to a funeral that I was supposed to be going to on Friday. And, you know, that carried all sorts of, uh, I suppose, meaning for me because I was giving the eulogy for a man, an older man who died, and I promised that I would be there and tell his story. And I now realised that I couldn't go. And, and it even entered my mind, you know, could I go? You know, would it, would it be okay? And then you suddenly realise that no, it wouldn't be okay, because I could risk infecting other people. This way of looking both ways at things was only... I was only beginning to adjust to that, I guess. So I sat down that afternoon and wrote a letter to Don, which was read out at the funeral.
0: Yeah, and as as you said there, it's it's a challenge on lots of different levels, as you've mentioned, both in your personal life, but it's going to be a real challenge for lots of people in different levels of society. Um, but if we can kind of bring it back to how it will affect business leaders they're obviously going to be having a lot of financial worries and anxieties um, about the security of their people's jobs. What are your tips for leaders to help manage this stress at this, at this very difficult time?
1: Yes, I think you're right. It is a very difficult time, very unpredictable time, but I think it's almost like all of us are becoming leaders now. You know, there are the, recognized leaders in society but I see a lot of leadership is happening not just with the senior people in organizations but everyone you know sometimes the most junior people are showing fantastic leadership but I think what's on people's minds really is is to try and remain human as as really as human and as honest and be transparent in their conversations as they can be I see great leaders saying things like, you know, I'm really clear about what I'm in control of and what I'm not in control of. There's a little phrase that we use at uh, the Press Associates called CALM which is stands for curious, active listening mode. And a lot of leaders that I'm talking to at the moment are really trying their hardest to be very curious and not make assumptions with people in their teams about what's going on. It's very hard. I think when all of us are, are quite stressed and stuff is going on, but I think people are trying to also balance some of the difficult stuff that's going on with, positive things uh, with humor, but also really trying to understand the meaning of what's going on to each member of their team and not make assumptions about that. And some, sometimes it's easy to think that, you know, so-and-so is not pulling their weight or so-and-so is acting like this. And the better leaders that I'm seeing at the moment are somehow managing to not only deal with their own stress and anxiety of stuff that's kicking off in their own lives but they are really very present when they are talking to their team members they are genuinely coaching them really you know they're saying what, what is the meaning you know help me really understand what's going on in your your life
0: uh this is a bit of a tricky question julie but one i feel that people will appreciate us asking what do you do if a member of your team is not quite stepping up to the challenge and there are other members of the team who are getting annoyed at their behaviour? And this could be something that's actually made worse by the lack of proximity. It might be that there are people remotely stewing at each other within the team. How do you how do you deal with that kind of dynamic?
1: Yeah, it's a good question, Tom, because it's the reality at the moment for a lot of people trying to keep teams uh, together you do see behavior. It's all about behavior. I was talking to somebody the other day and he was really frustrated with somebody in his team. And he was comparing this one particular person who was annoying him intensely because she was not stepping up, not being proactive and sorting things out that needed to be sorted. It was a supply chain team. And And then he was comparing her with someone else in the team who was just getting on with staff, doing staff, feeling very empowered and, and doing. And I suppose what is challenging when you get somebody behaving like that, some people will be behaving like that because they are not really clear about what is needed. So what my challenge back to the guy I was coaching was, have you been really explicit about the behaviors that you want from her? the things that are disappointing you and what you need to be done. Because the other question I had for him is, is this somebody who performed really well before, uh, but wasn't performing now? And he said, well, no, to be honest, I, I have had concerns about her ability to, you know, be proactive and lead before. So in that case, I would say you need to focus really clearly on behaviors and be very assertive about what's needed. But also sometimes you'll get people in the team, a different scenario where people are distracted or, you know, they're they're just not performing, whereas normally they would not be in that situation. And in those situations, I think there is a responsibility to the leader of the team to understand, you know, to say to the person, you know, help me understand what's going on, because this isn't you. You know, this, this, this isn't the person who's normally kind of really excited and energised about what we need to do and not coming up with negative things is it help me understand what this virus is meaning in your own life and then you might hear a story that's very different.
0: I wanted to, to move on to talk specifically about loss and how leaders can help support their people because everybody will experience some form of loss during this crisis it could be the loss of a way of life the loss of routine, financial stability, the loss of a job, or ultimately the loss of a loved one. So could you talk from a psychological perspective about how we process loss?
1: When we think of loss, sometimes people talk about a very linear model where you move through the stages of grief. And eventually the idea is that once you've moved through all the stages, you know, you start off by denial and then anger and so on, and you move on to acceptance. Generally speaking, that is considered to be a less usual process for people. What I think is much more uh, the real, the reality is what is called a dual process uh, model of grief. And if you imagine a pendulum swinging backwards and forwards, So on the one side of the pendulum is what they call emotion focus. That's where that's all the emotions that you feel, all the many different emotions that you feel around the loss that you're thinking about. And then sometimes the pendulum swings to the other side, which is what we call restoration focus, which is basically another word for the activities that you do when you want to rebuild your life, after the loss. So if I give you an example, maybe um, if we think of somebody whose partner has died, and one of the, one of the things she needs to do is um, to go to the bank to, to make some changes to various documents so that uh, she can move on with, with kind of organizing things. So she's kind of in that restoration mode. And just as she's about to go out the door, a song comes onto the radio, which triggers her into, you know, floods of tears, thinking about uh, how how much she's missing him. And then the pendulum will swing back after the song's gone and she's kind of thought, no, I must go to the bank. And so we kind of swing backwards and forwards with this kind of emotional reaction, this sense of loss for all you've worked for. I've heard so many people this week who, built lovely, lovely businesses. Um, There was one person I was coaching who has spent all of his, you know, the last decade really building up a beautiful business, um, which he just has put together, you know, piece by piece, a wonderful travel experience for families, which he's so proud of. And then a year ago, he decided to buy uh, a big boat that was going to support the business. So he took out an extra loan. And the timing of that is just dreadful now because people, obviously, he's um, in a situation like so many people where they're withdrawing from the bookings and so on. And he's, I see every day sometimes when I get emails from him, you know, on the one hand, he's just sad and desperate and forlorn and angry and all of the different feelings that you feel. And then sometimes it swings into you know, maybe we can write an email and maybe we can do this and let's do that. And so this kind of swinging backwards and forwards is what you see when people are in that really unstable state of processing just things that are really important to them. Mm -hmm. And I think leaders, when you are trying to be alongside someone who is in this situation, the leadership you can provide is showing both kind of warmth and strength. So warmth that you properly understand their reality, but also strength that you can try and help give boundaries, if you know, boundaries and direction and and clarity. We have a lovely phrase that uh, came from somebody we coached years ago at the Preston Associates. It says great leaders have the capacity to really absorb pressure, transmit clarity and absolutely believe in their people that they can deliver. And I I love that those three elements, because I think so often in leadership, that's what you're doing. You're absorbing the pressure, you're giving the clarity and the direction, but you also truly believe that you can empower your people to deliver.
0: Are there any other tips that you can give leaders who are trying to help their colleagues that are scared for their families and loved ones health?
1: I think one tip that I would give people is to not move too quickly into reassurance. So if somebody says, I'm really scared that my, you know, my partner who's just recovering from chemo could get this virus, we've just been through three years of dreadful stuff. Or somebody says to you, you know, we've, we've just successfully come through our fourth round of IVF and just found out that she's pregnant and I'm terrified that we're going to lose the baby. I think the temptation as a human is to just say, you know, it will be okay. It will be, you know, go into reassurance mode. And all I would say is maybe just find out a bit more before you do that. So help people to tell the story so that you properly understand the meaning and you understand their fear
0: and it's it's becoming increasingly likely that this is going to directly affect people within almost every business around the country so how can a leader react if someone in their team contracts and and ultimately dies from the virus
1: it's funny, I asked this question a couple of weeks ago to somebody I really respect, a uh, wonderful HR director, and, and her response was really great. She said, I'd like to think, Julie, that we'd react the same way as we would if anybody in the team died. And so there is that sense of how would we normally behave if if um, if somebody in the team died. And I think the one point I would try and encourage people to do now is to agree with each other how you want information to be handled. So one of the things that I think is really important is that information is communicated um, in a a gradual way. So for example, if somebody is admitted to hospital because they've got uh, very serious symptoms arising from the virus, remember most people Will, will not. But some people will require admission to a hospital. Sometimes for the team, it could be good if you can agree as a team that we will let everybody know if anybody is admitted to hospital, because at least then you will have raised some awareness that things are are serious. Many, many people will recover once they've been admitted and they've been ventilated and so on. But it is true, a small percentage won't. So I think if you can give people any warnings about breaking bad news that's really important but probably the most important thing tom is about honesty and humanity and just not leaving anybody out people can feel very hurt with these kind of communications when you're letting people know Um, sometimes certain people in the team are, are you know they hear before others that somebody has died so i think thinking really carefully about how people are told and what they're told and then giving them time to process what that means and it will mean different things for different people as time moves on and people have a little bit of you know a moment to adjust people will begin to to want to do something they'll they'll want to be able to remember that person and to maybe do something collectively as a team to to put together a kind of memory book or some, something that then can be sent to, to, the, to the family. I think the other deaths that may affect team members is not just a, maybe a team member directly, but also the, the parents and the relatives of, of people within the team, trying to, to kind of think about how those relationships will, will be acknowledged. Obviously, that's one distance, but it's still going to be really important to the member of the team. And as we know, or I think as is being signalled anyway, if the volume of deaths are, are what are anticipated here in the UK, as we've seen in other parts of the world, some of the more regular rituals that we all have around death will be different.
0: You mentioned it there and obviously... At the start of the interview, you also mentioned that you couldn't actually attend a funeral yourself earlier this week. Um, how important are those rituals and and how can leaders help manage people's grief if they don't have a chance to grieve in the way that we normally do as a society?
1: I think the concept of you know sitting around the campfire, talking, sharing stories, sharing funny moments... Let, let's just remember what our ancestors also used to do. Um, we're doing that in a very virtual way now, but you know, some of these amazing platforms that we have can allow groups of, you know, quite a, a, a large number of people to do a kind of virtual memorial service. is certainly possible now. Uh, I, I just think understanding how different people will choose to grieve is also an important thing for a leader some people are very extroverted in their grief some cultures are very extroverted in the grief and others are very private and they they may want things like somebody might ask for your permission to send a letter directly to the family but they might not have the address so there'll be all the data protection kind of challenges to think your way through. But as a leader, I would really listen to what people are asking to do. If somebody wants to send something directly to the wife or to the children to tell them what their dad was like, or you know, whatever it is, then, then just try and think outside the box, be creative, and try and make sure that even in this tsunami of losses that may be coming down the line, particularly for us in the UK, I know other countries around the world have already seen a lot of loss. But it's each and every individual is a human being and they have a myriad of relationships with so many different people. And I think it's about trying to somehow lose that and to, to not just be a number. Every day we're seeing the numbers you know, on, on a screen, the numbers of cases, the numbers of deaths, behind every single one of those numbers is a story and it's a family and it's relationships and a network of relationships. And that's the stuff we need to really hold on to. And I was reading this morning, amazing open letter from Bill Gates where he really has articulated so clearly what this experience is teaching us and what it reminds us of. And one of the things I particularly um, noticed in his list was, you know, it's reminding us that our true work is not our job. That is what we do, not what we were created to do. Our true work is to look after each other, to protect each other, and to be of benefit to one another. And that's coached in a whole loads of, there's about 12 points that he's making in this lovely open letter. And I think there is something about loss that is both devastating and destructive. And alongside that is a parallel world, which is one where you experience warmth and comfort and kindness and a closeness as a result of that loss. And, and I think we are walking on both those paths now. It's, it's, there is, somebody said to me the other day, is the world becoming less narcissistic? And I think in some ways it is, you know, because we are having to really empathize and step into other people's shoes and think about what those losses mean to them as well as our own loss. And all this upward and downward comparison that's going on is, um, is very moving actually when you see people who have very little giving so much in their own way And you know, I love, I must admit, I you know, I worked in the NHS for many years and I loved it and I loved the camaraderie and have been very saddened in recent years to see how low morale has become. And one of the real upsides to me is the way I suppose this dreadful viral pandemic is giving us a lens into what truly matters. Health is really, really important, and the people who feel passionate about providing that health care. I think are being seen in a different way and I'm really really proud of that and proud of the way leaders at all levels of an organization not just at the top are really stepping up and showing all sorts of fantastic solutions to problems that even a couple of days ago we didn't know we were going to have it's wonderful you know that, that kind of human spirit is truly wonderful
0: Julie, are there any tips that you could give people who are struggling with some of the issues that we've spoken about on today's podcast?
1: Maybe one really practical thing is about sleep. I think for people to be really absorbing the pressure and giving clarity and putting, you know, doing that kind of leadership stuff that people do well, I think it's definitely easier if you've had a good night's sleep. So I would encourage people to look at the kind of stuff that helps with sleep hygiene but particularly at the moment have a notebook by your bed and if you are waking up early in the morning which I know people are doing because people are sending me texts at all hours of the morning so I know I know that there is a lot on people's minds but sometimes it helps just to jot things down and and just so that it's contained and then you can get back to sleep and try and get at least a few hours good quality sleep And something else that might be of interest to people is a lovely resource, which I'll make sure is on the website. We call it a little box of big thoughts. And it's just a very simple way that people can complete unfinished sentences. So we give you the beginning of the sentence and then people just write an ending And you do a set of these sentences for somebody that you care about. You could do one for everyone in your family, for example, if you wanted. And it just, first of all, it makes you think about someone in a particular way. You know, there may be people in your family who you have easier relationships with than others. I guarantee that people will feel closer as a result of... Even thinking, even if you decide not to give these little box of big thoughts to anybody, even if you just do it in your head, it's a lovely exercise to go through. Um, You might find that it prompts different behaviours that are important at this very uncertain time. And all I can also say is that they are lovely to receive as well.
0: Julie, thank you so much for those tips and thank you for your time.
1: Thank you, Tom.
0: Please visit thepressandassociates.com to find the assets and tips that Julie mentioned during this podcast. The TPA podcast is available to download on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud and Acast. We hope to bring you another episode very soon.